Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether the king or the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant and talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body to the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks, Patrick. Um, Yeah, keep your Bibles handy. We're going to work through these verses. We were originally going to go all the way through to chapter 3, verse 7, but uh, since that was such a big chunk and there was just too much to deal with, I decided we'd go for two shorter sermons and one really long sermon. Uh, You'd probably prefer that, I'm certain. Uh, I'm not sure that you're aware. Uh, I wasn't aware of this until recently, but uh, Australia is actually not the only country in Australia. I don't know if you knew that, Uh, that was new information for me. But apparently in 1970, uh, about 50 years ago, uh, following an argument with the state government, Leonard Casley uh, actually split away from Australia and formed his own nation. Uh, He became Prince Leonard, I don't know why he didn't call himself king, but anyway, Prince Leonard uh, of Hutt River Province, uh, comprising of several hundred acres in rural Western Australia a new nation according to him. He made his own banknotes, uh, he printed his own stamps. Uh, for a week he even declared war on Australia, which coincidentally was whilst the ATO was chasing him. Uh, it's genius, isn't it? I mean, great. Don't like the government? Be your own government. Don't want to pay taxes? Pay them to yourself. Don't like our rules? Make your own. Live as you please. I mean, there's kind of a bit of sense there, isn't there? No, I'm not encouraging you to do that, please. Uh, don't do that. But maybe, maybe we as a church should do that. I'd, I'd make a great king. <laughs> maybe president. <laughs> or maybe Christianity should do that. I mean, after all, what have we seen from the book of First Peter so far? Uh, we've seen that God has made us a new people. We've seen that he's called us to be a holy nation. We've seen that he has made us like aliens and strangers in the world. We're pretty much our own nation, so why shouldn't we be? I mean, wouldn't it simplify a whole bunch of things? I'm sure it would solve a whole heap of our headaches. It might even be cheaper (laughs) to be our own nation. 
Now, I know that you know I'm joking. I'd make a hopeless king, uh, an even worse president. Uh, You know, it's a stupid idea. It's not even impractical. But it's actually what we've seen that God's intentions for us are. Uh, We've seen he's sent us to be his new people, not of the world but in the world, called to go to the world to tell the world about him and how good a king he is. But the question still remains then, well, how do we relate to the world? If God is our king, if we are a new people, a new nation, then what do we do about the nations of this world? What do we do about the kings of this world? How do we relate? Well, that's what Peter turns to in our chapter today. What it means to live as strangers in this world with our living hope and yet in the ways of this world. That's what we're going to explore uh, this morning. And we, we get frustrated with our earthly leaders all the time. We, we bemoan their strange choices, the, the ideas that they bring up. Uh, I'm sure we question all the time, well, maybe it would just be easier to live without them. We can do away with them. Well, imagine then Peter's day. Uh, it wasn't just the weird choices that the leaders in his day were making. No, in his day, the leaders uh, of the nations and the, of the cities were explicitly and increasingly anti-Christian. Uh, their persecution, the, the pressure on the Christian uh, people was growing daily. And so surely they must have been asked, asking, wouldn't it be better if we didn't have to do anything with them? Surely we don't need to follow them, especially if they're outright against us. Well, it turns out, yes, you do. Look again at verse 13 to 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Submit to every authority and ruler. Uh, It's not that you're less than them and so therefore they automatically earn uh, your allegiance. Instead it is submit yourself to them. Willingly put yourself under them, under their authority and what's more, do it with respect. Not grudgingly, not uh, constantly nagging back at them but do it with respect. And it's not just the rulers in, in, in view here, is it? Uh, Peter says to every authority instituted, the word instituted is literally created, he's saying to every man-made authority and authority structure, submit yourself to it and do it willingly. Why Uh, and how? Well he explains in verse 15 and 16. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. We submit to rulers for God's sake because he's over us and we're seeking out his will and we do it in order to live well, to do good and to silence those who would speak against us. See, the new identity that Jesus has given us uh, is not a calling to take ourselves out of the world to remove ourselves completely. Instead, it's a calling to live better in it, to live for our king, to live for the new nation that we're part of and by doing that, give honour to him and bring praise to his name. Uh, Peter reminds us we're actually a free people. We are are free. 
Um, God has ransomed us out of our futile lives. We saw that in chapter 1. He has rescued us out of darkness. We saw that in chapter 2. He alone has a claim over our lives. He is our king. He is our ruler. And we are free as his people. But he calls us to use that freedom not to serve ourselves, not to do what's only good for us, but to serve him, to do good in the world and to honour our earthly rulers. Uh, you might have caught the news uh, over the last couple of weeks, this, um, this argy-bargy going on and b- back and forth between the US uh, and Britain. Uh, I'm not entirely over how the story unfolded, but apparently the British ambassador to the United States uh, made some comments about Donald Trump in private, which were not terribly um, complimentary, let's say, Uh, And those private comments were made public, were leaked, uh, which is obviously not ideal. Now, that's led to a lot of tension in that relationship. And whether you think he was right or not, what we can agree on is that he's free to make those comments, isn't he? The the ambassador can say that, he can say what he thinks in private. I mean, he's not an American, he's not an employee of the US government. He can make those, he's British, he can speak as he wants, he has that freedom. But that doesn't make it wise, does it? Uh, to use that freedom badly brings consequences and as we're seeing, the consequences are serious. He's brought dishonour to his nation. Uh, He's brought dishonour to his queen too. He's used his freedom badly and the consequences for his people are bad. Well, Peter's saying we are free in Jesus not to use our freedom in a way that will reflect badly on our new nation and new king but a way that will bring him honour. So how do we act? Well, Peter summarises it there in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Uh, There's four commands there. They're they're all in parallel. They're all uh, capturing a little snapshot of what it means to live in this world as Jesus' people. Uh, Firstly, respect all people. That is, treat them with honour. Treat them with the dignity they deserve. Secondly, love the church. Wherever it is, uh, whatever it looks like, love it because it's special as God's people. Thirdly, fear God because he's above all. Uh, Live for him first. And finally, honour the king. Respect and submit to and act well towards the earthly rulers that God has put over us. And all of it for the sake of God because you are his servants because it silences the critics, because it brings glory to him. Uh, Whatever you think of um, Israel Folau and the the whole saga that's been going on for weeks now, um, one thing that he's done recently uh, made me quite glad. The whole thing is quite confusing and hard to understand, but one thing that happened lately that he did uh, was good. Um, There was that fundraising campaign he had, uh, GoFundMe, he had one campaign. Apparently there were hundreds, maybe even thousands of campaigns uh, opposing him and, and acting directly against him. And one of the biggest was by Magda Sabansky. Uh, I don't know if you heard about her campaign. She was kind of heading it up. Uh, and that was all well and good. It was raising a fair amount of money. But the problem was, at one point, Israel Folau's supporters uh, caught wind of it. Uh, they heard about this campaign and they started to speak out against it. Uh, They became crazy critical and vocal and there were all sorts of comments 
uh, and messages flying back and forth to her and about her, really offensive and horrible stuff. And to his credit, uh, when Folau caught wind of this, when he heard about what was going on, um, he didn't kind of just pretend like it wasn't there, you know, this is someone opposing him, you know, just give them a hard time. He actually called it out. Uh, he went public and said, that needs to stop. That's not the sort of discussion we're having here. You need to respect her. She's free to have her point of view. Uh, you should not be being so harsh towards her. And it's the right thing to do, isn't it? Uh, it was a good thing to do. And actually, it took a lot of sting out of all the criticism that was heading his way. And what Peter's saying here is we're called to a similar thing. No matter how our leaders rule, no matter how uh, against us they are or what scorn they direct towards us, we are called to respect them. We're called to do good towards them, to treat them with the dignity they deserve. Now this will happen. We are going to get this sort of reaction. Decades ago the church was broadly appreciated in society. Uh, A few years back it was tolerated. Now it's openly questioned. People are scornful of the church. They're suspicious of what we're about. Honestly, with some of the things that have happened in the church, it doesn't surprise me. But that's why this matters. When criticism comes, and it will come, we don't respond loudly or defiantly. We don't uh, go to the authorities and and whinge or, or, or kick back against them. Instead, Peter's saying we respect all, we submit to our leaders, we do good and we fear God. And through our response, we bring glory to him. So the question is, are we willing to take the harder and the quieter path? Are we willing to take the harder path? Uh, Are we willing to speak well of our leaders or our politicians, the structures that we exist in, Um, not only those that we like but those that we don't like as well, those that we think are questionable? And we're not being called here to to automatic agreeing with them but does the way we speak, does the way we act towards them communicate respect? Does it communicate honour? Now, of course, we live in a, a free country where we can vote against people we don't like, against policies we don't like, We we have those means, but even in that we are still called to act with respect and with honour and to do good. We're called to submit to our leaders and follow them. Obviously not when they're contrary to God or when they're calling us to do things that are sinful, but if we're honest, that's not really our country, is it? And in fact, that's a long way away from our country at this point. Now, it might be hard. Even though our government is reasonable, Uh, even though they're a little overbearing, we're called to respect them. And not just respect our leaders, but to respect, to submit to the structures they put around us, the institutions they put over us. That includes all those things we love to complain about. OH&S, increasing red tape, food safety laws, child safety laws, etc., etc. These are the man-made authorities that are around us. And we're to submit ourselves to them freely because we are God's. We are living for him, honouring him and therefore submitting to and obeying and respecting the authorities instituted all around us. But what if things still go against us? What if doing good, what if doing the right thing is still hurting 
Look at verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of wish that the Bible would condemn slavery in passages like this, and if not here, at least elsewhere. Uh, but we've got to remember, that's not the immediate purpose of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is aiming to a far higher purpose. It's aiming here at, at freedom, not uh, from human chains that last a lifetime. It's aiming at freedom from spiritual chains that last an eternity. And even though slavery here is not condemned, nor elsewhere, the seeds for its fall are sown. Peter calls to slaves, uh, act with respect. Submit to your leaders freely, whether they're good or whether they're harsh, literally whether they're crooked. Now we're not slaves, so how much more should this apply to us? They had no choice in their master, they had no choice in their work, but we do. How much more for us? And so whether our bosses or whether our leaders are good, whether they're not, whether they're competent or incompetent, whether they're uh, gracious or harsh, we act with respect. We freely submit ourselves, not because of who they are, but because of who we are in God. But see, it's not just our workers being addressed here. Uh, Peter broadens this out to everyone in verses 19 through 20. Uh, read them with me. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Uh, once when I was younger and sillier, I, um, I crashed my parents' car uh, trying to drift in the wet. It's just a minor crash. It was a very unimpressive drift. Um, and I don't remember any sympathy at all. Uh, I remember getting asked why I was doing the wrong thing. Uh, if you do the wrong thing and suffer, uh, if there's consequences, it's nothing, is it? Um, if you're fired for slacking off at work, that's nothing. If you are fined by the ATO for fudging your tax return, that's nothing. But if you do good, if you're doing right and you suffer still, then that's something. If you're suffering for doing good, for serving God, for submitting to your leaders and respecting them, for, for doing the right thing as you are able, Peter tells us God sees that. He sees it and he commends it. That is, he rewards it, not in this lifetime, but certainly in eternity. God sees and he rewards. It is good to know, even though it still sucks when we suffer for doing what's good. Uh, there was a story this week of a, a bloke in Victoria, an, an older uh, gentleman. Um, he wanted to donate a box of books to the Salvos, but when he got there they were shut, so he left them outside their front door thinking he did the right thing uh, and got fined $322 by council. Uh, he'd broken a new bylaw. You can't do that uh, at, at um, charity shops. Trying to do the right thing and getting fined anyway. It's not nice. And yet Peter tells us we ought to expect it. We ought to expect it. Look at verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In fact, not only should we expect to suffer when we try to do the right thing, we're actually called 
to a life of following Jesus and a life of suffering like he did. We're saying, he's, Peter's saying, you're following in Jesus' footsteps. He is an example to you. You try to live like him and part of that is going to be suffering for good like he did. Unjust, unprompted, unfair suffering. Remember, Jesus did good. He did perfect and still he suffered even to death. And we follow him. We do the good he calls us to and expect in that to suffer like he did. Look at verses 22 through 25. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is our hope and Jesus is our example. He was insulted and he didn't retaliate. He suffered and he didn't threaten those uh, who hurt him. Not because he was weak, not because he was scared, but, but as Peter tells us, because he was entrusting himself to someone else. He was entrusting himself to the bigger and better and righter judge of all. And he knew that this bigger and better and righter God had a perfect plan, even in his sufferings. It was all part of the good that God was doing. And so he submitted himself first to God and suffered for good. And so our sins he bore. And in his death we die to sin. His righteousness we live. His physical wounds mean our spiritual wounds are healed. And thus because of him, because of his submission to God, even to suffering, we are healed. We are forgiven. We are made right. And we, wandering lost and futile souls that we were, are returned to him and come under him, the good shepherd, the right and just overseer of our souls. He is our hope in suffering and he is our pattern in suffering. His suffering wins for us life and his suffering shows us how to live. Because like him we will suffer. When we do the good that he has called us for, we will hurt for it. It's hard for us to understand. Uh, we don't like that idea. Um, partly because the, the world we live in, the, the things that we've learned from the world, uh, just doesn't believe in suffering for doing a good thing. Um, most of us wouldn't agree to believing in karma in a formal sense, but kind of subtly we, we take on a similar idea, don't we? You know, when something bad happens, uh, we look for something wrong that's caused it. You know, your bad health, or maybe you're eating wrong. Uh, you're getting sick all the time, look at your lifestyle. You're po maybe in poverty, well, maybe it's wrong choices. If something bad has happened, there's something wrong that's leading to it. And to an extent, the Bible agrees. Sometimes suffering, sometimes bad things happen as a consequence of wrong choices we make. But the problem is, we assume the flip side as well. We assume then that if you do right, if you do what is good, then right and good will happen to you. If you're a good person, if you're generous, if you're nice to animals, good to the environment, caring and genuine, and etc., etc., if you're all of those things, then life will go well. And that's fine, 
until it doesn't. And that's confusing. What did I do? Why is this happening to me? We can't understand it. Well, Peter says bad things will happen to good people. In fact, bad things will happen because people do good. We will suffer while doing good. In fact, as Jesus' people, we will suffer for doing good because we're trying to do what's right. So don't be surprised. Uh, We're called to live for Jesus, to follow him, to learn him, to obey him. We're called to know that what happened to him will happen to us as well. Unjustly, unfairly, when you do good, when you do what is right, when you pursue his will, there will at times be negative consequences. Now, of course, when we face injustice, we're free to seek justice. Our land provides means for us to do that. We're free to make use of it. But regardless, we're called to do that well. Not retaliating, not lashing out, not cursing, but instead entrusting ourselves to God, the bigger, better, righter God, regardless of the outcome. Now maybe for you this is happening already. Maybe for you living out, being a Christian and following Jesus is bringing a great cost. If it's not already, then it will one day. There will be a consequence, a cost for following Jesus. It might be scorn from those around you. It might be isolation or ostracism from those around you. It might mean you miss out on opportunities. It might cost you friends. It might cost you families. It might be financial costs. It might cost you at your work. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. God commends us. Jesus knows the path we walk because he's walked it first. And he whom we've entrusted our lives to rules us and leads us and provides for us. And not only in this life, but forever because the living hope we have in him is far greater than all our suffering. That is what living your hope looks like. It looks like freely submitting, though you're citizens of a new nation. It looks like suffering well, even as our king suffered for us. This new life is a new life, but it is not promised to be an easy life. In fact, it's promised that there will be new complications as part of it and new difficulties. It is a life like Jesus, learning and following and doing as he did for his sake, for the reward he offers and for the glory of his name. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, who not only gives us life in his death and resurrection, but shows us how to live, even in the hardest and most difficult of things. Father, we pray that through your Spirit's power at work in us, our lives would every day look more and more like his, that we would look like free submission for your sake to the leaders you've put around and over us, that our lives would be seeking to do good in all things, even though it will prove costly to us. Father, help us to trust our lives to you, 
uh, regardless of what happens, regardless of the cost that it may bring. And help us to know that the hope that we have in Jesus, that hope that is far bigger than any cost we pay here. And so let us serve him gladly and willingly, living as he lived for us. In his name we pray. Amen.